1: Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Eco Chic, the podcast all about practical science and sustainability. My name is Laura Diaz. Welcome back. Welcome to episode 82. I'm really pumped about this episode because I think it's very pertinent to the current situation of it's mid-November, you're going to be going home for the holidays soon, and maybe you have some conservative family members, friends from high school, whatever it might be, people in your life who aren't necessarily 100% on board with all of your climate activism, all of your, like, young, liberal, hippie stuff. And when I say young, liberal, hippie stuff, I mean literally acknowledging the fact that climate change is happening. So those are some tough conversations to have, and this time of year can be particularly challenging. And I also don't want us to ignore the fact that when this episode comes out, impeachment hearings are going on. So it's a pretty tense Time, like not only in terms of climate activism, climate policy, just politically, like it can definitely be a sticky situation. So, today we are joined by Sarah Ott. Sarah actually reached out to me via email, and I knew that I had to have a big conversation with her about her work, and I thought it'd be particularly helpful this week. So, Sarah is actually a former ultra conservative climate denier. She actually speaks today a little bit about her involvement with the Republican Party when she was in college and some more conservative views. She has political views and also some views that she saw presented in a more religious setting. Sarah is the chapter leader For the Citizens' Climate Lobby in an ultra-conservative area in North Georgia, and she is also the granddaughter of a Pennsylvania coal miner. I think her whole story is really, really interesting because she does have a very level-headed Understanding of what it is to be a climate change denier. And she has also grown a lot and she shares a lot of her stories in the ways that she kind of came to terms with the fact that maybe she fell to a conspiracy theory or a lot of the marketing around climate denial is very convincing. And she has a lot of really great insight on how to have these conversations with people who may be skeptical about climate change. And I thought that this was also a really just interesting episode because even outside of the climate change discussion. She shares a lot of really helpful tips on how to better present your argument or your viewpoint to another person who has an opposing viewpoint. The ways that you can be super non-confrontational, but also really present ideas in a thoughtful and really enticing way to your, you know, quote-unquote opposing party. Sarah is also a climate change teacher ambassador with the National Center for Science Education. She herself is a school teacher, and she really just is a supporter of critical thinking skills when it comes to climate change discussions. One of my favorite lines about climate change denial actually comes from Ashley Piper. She is the author of Give a Shit, and she was on a very early episode of the podcast. I'll have it linked in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to my conversation with her. But essentially, in the opening chapter of Give a Shit, Ashley opens up with the line that if you have critical thinking skills you believe in climate change. And I love that so much because it's really not about denying the science. It's like if you have a cause and effect mentality, if you can really understand logic, you should be able to understand why and how climate change is actually occurring right now as we speak. So it's really a matter of presenting your logic in a really digestible way and being able to kind of flip some of those misconceptions that people have. So I think that Sarah is an incredible resource. She has such an interesting story, and she shares a lot of super tangible take-home tips for you to have these conversations with people in your life who may not be totally on our side. Not necessarily that there's a side. I don't want it to sound like a big fight. But I'm just saying we want to encourage people to think deeper about their actions and about climate change and not laugh at our sustainable habits or whatever it may be. And there are really thoughtful and interesting helpful ways that you could have these conversations and keep them super happy and positive and encouraging it doesn't always have to be a fight at all so i'm really really glad that we have sarah on today's episode before i share the conversation though i do want to take a minute to announce to everyone officially on the podcast if you follow eco chic podcast on instagram maybe you've seen a couple of teasers about this but i'm so so proud to announce that very very soon I am going to be launching Totally Eco Chic, the eco-conscious lifestyle shop. I do plan to very thoroughly explain everything about the shop on an upcoming episode of Eco Chic, but I want you to know TotallyEcoChic.com. It's going to be your one-stop place for all of your chic, sustainability supplies. It's going to be a place for us to expand everything that we've learned on the podcast over the last year and a half, and just expand all of those ideas and tricks and tips, personality that this podcast really does bring, to items that will actually help you live that more eco-conscious life. So I am so incredibly proud, and I promise to bring you lots and lots of details. But just for now, chic.com and you can also follow us on Instagram, Instagram at Totally Eco Chic on Facebook as well. If you are on Facebook, Totally Eco Chic, anywhere you can find it. And please keep an eye out for a formal launch announcement very, very soon. Again, I will have a podcast episode all about it because I can't wait to share the details. But I'm really, really excited. So Totally Eco Chic. Just get pumped, everybody. Get pumped. If you like today's episode, don't forget to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. I really appreciate them, and it's just a good way to get other people involved in Eco Chic as a whole. In this whole community, you can listen wherever you listen to podcasts, and also keep in touch with me again on Instagram at Eco Chic Podcast. It's always in the show notes, and my personal page is also linked there. And that's Laura E. Diaz. Let's get into this episode with Sarah Ott. Sarah, before we get started into the conversation, I'm so, so excited to have you here today. I would love for you to introduce yourself to the audience. Well, my name is Sarah Ott. I live
0: in Georgia. I am a Citizens Climate Lobby Chapter Leader, and I'm also a Climate Change Teacher Ambassador with the National Center for Science Education.
1: Great, great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, thank
0: you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: I'm so excited for this conversation because I think that this is going to be so helpful and so timely and really just opening up people's eyes to these climate change conversations that you're encouraging in more conservative areas. Talk is so important. I'm sure as your audience knows, Catherine Hayhoe has said one of the most
0: important things we can do for climate change is to talk about it. And in my area, people are so afraid to talk about it. Got it so I, I definitely am trying to get more people engaged and talk about climate change here in my area in Northwest Georgia which is a very conservative area uh, so I'm really excited to share anything that I've learned throughout my years of doing this
1: Great. I think that's going to be just so helpful and so interesting. But before we get into like how to talk to people, I would love to back up and just hear a little bit about your story and who you are, how you grew up and like how you really had this roundabout way of kind of coming to your role now as an ambassador.
0: I was a kid and grew up in Florida, a single mom. My mom was awesome. And she always encouraged me to you know, follow my passion. And one of my passions, oddly enough, was to go around my neighborhood and clean up the, the litter in the neighborhood. <laughs> and I would take my little red wagon with me and pick up all the litter in the neighborhood. And then my mom would come home and she would help me sort it into recycling. So I was always very concerned about the environment, very much wanted uh, animals in my neighborhood to be safe and well cared for. Uh, And my mom really instilled a lot of those values in me. And my dad did also. We spent a lot of time in the woods as kids, going camping, spending time on the lake, going skiing. My family really encouraged, uh, you know, love of nature. That was really awesome. I grew up and kind of fell in love with science. I had been around science my whole life. My mom's a nurse and my dad owned a scientific equipment company so i was always around microscopes and telescopes so i had kind of decided at the end of you know high school to pursue a degree in the sciences so i decided on zoology because i absolutely loved animals went off to college kind of you know was still learning about science zoology Evolution, but also kind of becoming more conservative. My boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he was a very conservative, still is a very conservative person. And so I started to kind of get more conservative in my political views. And I was involved with the uh, college Republicans and really did not see my involvement with college Republicans and my, you know, staunch dedication to. The environment and care for our earth as things that were opposed to one another because inherently they're not. And so I had kind of pursued both outlets for a long time and we graduated. I got my master's degree in secondary science education. And when we graduated, we kind of both decided that we want to move up to the mountains where it was a little bit cooler, you know, get out of Florida where it was really, really hot and head up to where it's a little bit cooler and there's more mountains. We both love mountains and so we ended up in a small town in northwest georgia we both got jobs up here from about the time like i'd say 2007 to 2011 i was very much a republican a conservative republican but still teaching science definitely believe in evolution no i hate that phrase (laughs) i don't just believe in evolution i just i see it i can observe that it's occurring so i was trying to find my space in uh, my evangelical community here in my hometown, but also you know, in the Republican movement, I still felt like there was a place for someone like me at both of those tables. I was really firmly in that camp for a long time. And then just over time, I started noticing little things at church or on conservative radio that didn't quite jive with me and my upbringing and the way that I saw the world inherently. And I got some books, you know, people would recommend different books to me and from by conservative writers. And and I would read them and kind of be like, huh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. (laughs) That was that was part of that was part of this. And then things really changed once Donald Trump was elected. And he announced that we would be removing ourselves from the Paris Climate Accords. That really woke me up once I heard that, I'll never forget it. I remember exactly where I was in town. <laughs> I remember exactly where I was driving when I heard that we had signed the Paris Climate Accords and I remember exactly where we were where I was driving when I heard on the NPR that we had removed ourselves from them or would begin that process, that long process of doing so. And hearing that, by that time I had two small children, two little girls and nothing can prepare a woman for the kind of transformation that happens when, when you have kids. For me, it just kind of took everything already about me and amplified it and made it so much more than what it already was. I already was very invested in you know protecting the world, but now I was not only invested in protecting the world for humanity, but also for my own children. really kind of put a real face on the climate crisis for me. Uh, and I knew in that moment that I, I had to do something. I didn't know what I was going to do, <laughs> but I had to figure something out. Started the long journey to now. I saw a global weirding video with Catherine Hayhoe, and she had mentioned Citizens Climate Lobby. And I added my name immediately and learned that there was a new chapter forming in North Atlanta. Got a babysitter and drove all the way down to Atlanta <laughs> to go to my first Citizens Climate Lobby meeting and learn a little bit more about it. And, and as I was leaving, A wonderful woman said, Hey, I can help you start your own chapter. That was not even on my radar. I did not even think about that. And I said, Sure, yeah, let's talk about that. So we met for coffee and she told me how I could start my own chapter and she brought me a bag full of goodies to to get me started. And I learned how to do CCL and I went to my first lobby meeting. I brought my mother with me to Washington, DC and we lobbied for carbon fee and dividend. Uh, together, which was wonderful a wonderful experience. I highly recommend doing activism with your mother. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and so yeah, and then after a few years of doing that, I had seen a advertisement for a climate change teacher ambassador program with the National Center for Science Education, thinking it was a long shot because only 10 individuals were going to be chosen by NCSE. and I actually got chosen and I was beyond thrilled. Got to go to Washington, D.C., and work with the people at George Mason Center for Climate Change Communication and the National Center for Science Education. And through that program, I've been able to speak with reporters from all over the world. We've done amazing work with lessons, and we're doing awesome stuff trying to get out the word to fellow teachers. Try to figure out ways to get teachers more involved on teaching climate in a, an age appropriate way, but also a factual way that is consistent with science and climate research.
1: Wow, 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 wow. Thank you so much for sharing that, Sarah. That was such a great, great background on who you are and why you're so passionate about what you do. I feel like there's so many different parts of your story that I want to know more about. So thank you so much for sharing that. Of course, I'm happy to be here. And so before we get into like what you do now, teaching people about climate science in an age-appropriate way and also just educating people and encouraging people to think more critically about climate science, I would love to kind of back up and talk a little bit about you as a young adult before you had your children and your involvement in these uh, more Republican political groups and your church setting. And what were the conversations you were having like at that point around climate change? Well... I
0: don't really remember any conversations about climate change happening, which was kind of part of the problem. Like, at a certain time, I noticed that things were missing from my life. It's hard to notice an absence, but after a certain period of time, it was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not hearing any messages about caring for the earth I'm not hearing any messages about protecting the future for, for kids today. I'm not, I'm not hearing these things. And so after a time, I just kind of developed a hunger to hear those things again and realize that I had to really restructure, honestly, my whole life to bring everything back into balance with who I am. You know, I, I spoke at the beginning about, I've always been this way. I mean, I, I, came out like this. (laughs) I care about nature. And so coming back to that has been like a rediscovery of myself, which is very empowering as a woman. But there really weren't any conversations happening on climate, which is why I started doing the work I do. Because I would go outside, for example, there was a time here in Dalton where it was like 90 degrees in like February for like three days in a row. And I walked outside, you know, to do bus duty. Cause I have to, you know, escort my students to the bus every afternoon. And every person I passed said, Oh, isn't this weather so nice? Like what a treat, you know, to have this in February. And for me, I walk outside and it's a reminder of the existential crisis that we have hanging over our heads. And it's very threatening and anxiety inducing to me to not only be in an environment that reminds me every day that we are moving closer and closer and closer to catastrophe and everybody around me doesn't notice it. My friend called it the picnic apocalypse, you know, for a small period of time, you know, things are going to be fine and dandy, just, you know, great. Oh, it's a little bit warmer. Yay. We had our pool open for another month this year, as opposed to what we've had in the past but that's a sign that things are out of balance. I kind of likened it, uh, it's a morbid example, but I likened it to that awful tsunami. And you know, when people noticed that the water receded so far into the ocean, lots of people ran out far to get as many beautiful seashells as they could. And they were really excited and they thought, this is so amazing. This is so cool, what a neat opportunity. But what you should have done, what people should have done is said, this isn't normal. Something, Something's happening here and I should seek shelter. It's a warning sign that things are, are going wrong. And I can't be someone who looks at the people going further and further out to shore and not say anything. So now when something happens in town and the weather's bizarre and people say how nice it is that it's so warm in winter or how strange to have this kind of weather at this time of year, I remind them that this is going to happen more and more and we can do something about it. Like it's not just that this is our new normal, but that we can actually do something about it. If we all come together and think critically and act and find solutions that we can all be comfortable with, because Ultimately, I'm a peacemaker and I'm interested in bringing both sides to the table. I'm very interested in having liberal Democrats, conservative Republicans come together at my table. Let's talk about the problem. Let's talk about some reasonable solutions that we can all agree on. And let's move forward with that because we can find some shared values with which that we can act.
1: I think that that's such a great way to think about how you can really be not only a peacemaker, but also someone who's just encouraging solutions. And the best way to get people thinking about solutions is to start speaking their language, come at it from like a non-confrontational standpoint. Because, I mean, you don't get anywhere if you're fighting someone on their views. You kind of have to meet in the middle somewhere. So... I would love to kind of hear a little bit more about how you encourage these conversations. Let's say that you do have someone that's like, wow, what a beautiful 90 degree February day. How do you start getting them to understand like what this really means for our long term climate? I usually just say, hey,
0: this isn't normal. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's nice, but this isn't normal. And this is a sign that things are out of balance and we have to, we have to do something about this. Um, and I take every opportunity I can to do so natural disasters whenever they occur. Uh, Oh, here's a good one. So, uh, it's not good. I mean, it's terrible, but about, let's see, about a year ago, two years ago, you know, I'm a former Floridian. Okay. I moved out of the state of Florida because I was tired of having hurricanes all the time, (laughs) tropical storms, you know, destroy our property or we'd have to go somewhere else for a period of time. Or my whole family would come to my tiny apartment in Gainesville (laughs) so we could weather out the storm. I was tired of doing that. And so we moved to North Georgia and last year or the year before that, I can't remember the exact year, we had our very first tropical storm warning here in northwest georgia because the strength of the hurricane how it was able to maintain its strength as it traveled across the entire state of georgia and it was still a tropical storm you know by the time it got up here and that's the first time that's ever happened so i used that opportunity to write a letter to the editor this is newsworthy this has never happened here before and we should be talking about what we can do to fix it because we are going to start seeing threats that we have never prepared for, because it's never happened in the history of you know humanity that we are experiencing these kind of changes on the rapid scale that we're seeing now. So I took that opportunity to write to my local newspaper and get it in as many papers as possible and to get the conversation going, to get the conversation started. Even if people see my article and they go, huh, look at that tree-hugging hippie, or as I like to get called often up here, a liberal indoctrinator, they're still talking about climate change. And the number of people who talk about climate change in my community is extremely low. 22% of people in my County are willing to talk about climate change. 22%. That's, that's so low. I'm working to normalize the conversation here in my local area to get people talking about it. The more we talk about it, the better we can respond to it and the better that we can come together. So beyond speaking out to like my local media, I also do climate activism and I try to, you know, in a very non-confrontational way, keep people up to date with what I'm doing on, on social media, post a happy, friendly picture of me uh, at a conference, meeting other people, me on Capitol Hill on lobby day with citizens climate lobby, you know, lobbying for our bill, anything that I can do, like, Hey, look at all these people smiley, happy faces. We're doing amazing work. We also do like some tabling work in town at local events and fairs. And I put that out on social media and then people ask me about it. So a lot of times I just create an environment where people feel comfortable coming to me. And as a teacher, I'm very good at trying to remain open-hearted towards all different kinds of people and keep an open space for them when they're ready to come to me to have that conversation. I know that I've created a safe space where they feel respected and where they can feel heard. And so I often do little things like that. And people will send me messages (laughs) on Facebook Messenger. They'll say, hey, my kid is interested in climate. Can you give me any resources? Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Or they'll say, no, hey, I would like to know more about this. Is there a good book that you're reading right now? And a lot of these conversations happen in private. They don't necessarily happen in public but i use one thing that i learned from my from my conservative days when i when i listened to rush limbaugh every day he said to be an expert on this particular topic you be an expert on conservatism and then people will come to you and ask you questions that is what i'm doing but with climate change i am the person i'm the resource in my community that people can come to and ask me for questions so if anybody needs to know anything I'm one of the first people they come to, to hear more about it. And I've very carefully curated that reputation and I've carefully curated that posture towards the world and towards ideas so that people do feel comfortable coming to talk to me. Those are, those are kind of my tricks and that's kind of worked with, with some of my conservative family members as well. You know, just, I keep doing things for the climate and then they ask, oh, Hey, how'd that conference go? And I'll say, Hey, you know, I, or in this case, like I met this really cool person and they got me in touch with this cool new podcast that I didn't know about. And I got to have a conversation with the host and she was great. So those are kind of ways that I just kind of do it to break the ice. So I always start with a really non-confrontational break the ice kind of thing. And then once they can trust me for that they'll come to me for other things later on too. I'll have proven myself as a trustworthy person, someone who has integrity, someone who is open to new ideas, somebody who's willing to listen and respond and reflect on shared values that we both have. And once you set yourself up like that, I think a lot of these conversations flow really naturally and also in a really non-confrontational way. The one thing that we want to avoid all costs is confronting people in a way that activates the part of the brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala is the part of your brain that will respond to attacks on identity. And it will respond to attack to someone's identity in the same way that it would respond to like a bear or a lion. If you perceive that someone is attacking you and that element, a core element of who you are as a person, their amygdala will flare up and they will lash out at you. So some of the ways that we can avoid that amygdala response in a conversation is to tell stories. Um, I have quite a few prepared climate stories to talk about at all times (laughs) that I've kind of curated over my years as a Citizens Climate Lobby volunteer. So stories are a great way to do that. But also just like being really relaxed, being really chill, asking questions, giving them time to speak, looking them in the eye and, you know, being careful with your body language, not crossing your arms, you know, sitting back, relaxing, smiling. Those are all cues that you are relaxed and that they can be relaxed too. And so a lot of those things I use, not just, you know, with my climate conversations, but of course with my own students, when, when they get heated, I'm pretty good at de-escalating situations. (laughs) It's
1: part of the job. Thank you so much for sharing all of that because I think that you have a really good grasp on like the best way to encourage other people to get thinking about it on their own. You know, it's one of those things that like, it's always nice to present an idea. I feel like girls do this with their boyfriends that they like present an idea and like you let someone else take credit for coming up with it. And they feel like they, you know, like they've done such a great job in suggesting an activity or like whatever it may be. Right. So that's kind of how climate conversations oftentimes are the most successful. Cause I like to do that same thing where I set up a situation where someone else is comfortable opening up the conversation and asking a question. It's like, uh, like I'm thinking when I go to the grocery store and I take reusable produce bags, so I'm not taking those plastic bags every single time. When I bring my reusable produce bags, there's always one person at the grocery store that's like, wow, what cool bags, where'd you get them? How did you do this? I never thought to bring reusable bags before, like whatever it may be. When someone has an opportunity to converse with you and like ask their own questions and it comes from them, it's such a successful, positive conversation.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Another one of the things I like to do is I've got a really great hat and it's make earth cool again. (laughs) And I wear it all the time as much as I can. Um, And that also starts conversations quite a bit. Like you'd be surprised, find some cool non-confrontational climate change gear and wear it as much as possible. And you'd be shocked how many people come up and we'll talk to you about it.
1: I think that's a great idea. I also would love, love, love actually to backtrack and talk a little bit about the conversations that you have with your family that you mentioned very briefly. Just the idea that someone's asking you, "Oh, how are you doing?" and "What have you been up to lately?" and then you present these climate action situations that you've been involved in in a very casual way. I would love to kind of talk about some strategies that you can utilize if you do have a family member or a close friend or something like that who is not really like on board with Climate change, for whatever reason, how do you start and encourage really positive conversations in that in that situation?
0: Absolutely. So, one of the things that I like to do before I even get started is to remind myself of Yale Climate Communication study on uh, the Six Americas, and I always remind myself that even though I feel alone because nobody's talking about climate change, there are only 9% of people in America who are dismissive of climate science and only 12% are doubtful. It's very likely that I'm talking to someone who is in another category. Maybe they're cautious. Maybe they are, you know, doubtful. They don't really know, but they're not dismissive. So for a lot of people, you want to focus your attention on, the people who are open and who aren't interested in what you have to say. And I don't worry too much about people who aren't interested in having a, a two-way conversation. If you've proved yourself to not be willing to listen, to not be someone with integrity in a conversation, I don't feel like I have the responsibility to, to speak with you. I will if you are you know, willing to, to be kind and to be open and to listen. But I often don't engage if I detect that someone is extremely dismissive and very flippant about climate change. So I want to just, you know, remind everybody that, you know, you don't have to have any conversations that you want. It's really important to make sure that you keep yourself safe for the holidays. It can be a really stressful time for everybody. But if your family is a family that has good communication, who is willing to listen, and they love you and you have a good relationship with them, like I do with my family and with my in-laws, then there are some really good strategies that you can use to kind of talk about something if you hear an offhand comment and say at the Thanksgiving table or at the you know Christmas dinner table. One of the things that I always do is if I hear a, a climate denial argument occurring, and if you guys don't know, skepticalscience.com has an amazing list of like 199 climate science arguments against climate science. And then it has kind of the, the truth also right next to it. It's a great, amazing list. And that's curated by John Cook at um, George Mason University Climate Change Communication Center. So that's a great like resource to like go to. They also have an app. Uh, Thank you anyway. so much
1: for sharing that. I will definitely put that in the show notes if anyone wants to go ahead and read through it.
0: It's amazing. They have a printable version. I bring it with me to all of my conferences and stuff that I do and to all of my teachers and give it out. It's a great resource. Anyway, I always, if I know what they're they're saying and if I also know the rebuttal, I always state the fact first so let's say I had a conversation with some friends at my house about climate change, and they were they were a skeptical they were a skeptical couple, and they kind of wanted to know a little bit more about, say, volcanoes you know, and how do volcanoes contribute to global climate change. I always state the fact first, so state the fact fact is, humans are causing global warming. then you state the myth or the misconception. some people think that global warming is caused by volcanoes. The fallacy, you can use, um, you would wanna say what the fallacy is after that. The problem with that argument is X, Y, Z. So to determine what fallacy the argument is using, we have a handy dandy acronym that was developed by John Cook at George Mason. Uh, It's called FLIC, F-L-I-C-C. F stands for fake experts. Those are a lot of times you'll see like petitions online, signed by, you know, a hundred thousand scientists saying that humans are not causing climate change. A lot of those people are not climate scientists. They're, you know, they're physicians or they're not real people. (laughs) They're fake experts. The L is for logical fallacies, like a red herring, a misrepresentation or a straw man fallacy, false dichotomy, jumping to conclusions. Uh, And I can go into all those in more detail. Um, I is for impossible expectations. C is for cherry picking, uh, and then the other C is for conspiracy theories. And that, that last one, that last C, that is the C that I used to convince myself that climate change wasn't real, and that it was some part of a global conspiracy. So the t- at the time, when I was really uh, uh, you know, pretty deep into conservatism, I was really impacted by the climate gate debacle of 2009 with the email hack of the University of East Anglia and Michael Mann at Penn State. That was really in the news at that time, specifically you know, Rush Limbaugh talked about that a lot. And the way that they talked about it, that Rush Limbaugh talked about it, I really felt like, oh my gosh, there's some kind of conspiracy that's. And I felt like I had been betrayed. You know, like I had given my life to environmentalism and caring for the environment, but I was also, a, you know, a conservative Republican. And I thought, oh my gosh, are scientists, you know, in the profession that I've dedicated my life to doing something and hiding something from the public for a certain agenda? And of course, that wasn't the case. It has been thoroughly debunked. You will hear me say it 10,000 times. I was wrong. I was wrong about that. But I got hooked into a conspiracy theory, and I had all of the critical thinking skills that I should have been employing. At the time that that happened, I already had a bachelor's degree in zoology. I had a master's degree in secondary science education. I am a very well-educated person. I'm a well-read person. I should have known better. So a lot of this misinformation that's out there is very compelling it speaks to values that people have under the surface and so it's important to acknowledge those values that are under the surface connect on shared values and then propose a new frame for the conversation so that you can move forward with the shared values so for example one of the things that i have done on facebook when you know people say a message to me on social media about oh isn't this this silly one argument that I had gotten was, you know, those Democrats with their Green New Deal, they don't care about coal miners. And I can say, as the granddaughter is a coal miner, I am also really concerned about the dignity and the lives of people who work in a coal mine. I share that same concern, and I want those people to be well cared for. So we can connect on the shared value that of, hum- of our love for humanity. That just because the economy is moving forward, we don't have to necessarily leave behind the people who've worked in the technologies that we've used, you know, all throughout our industrial revolution into the present. So we can give those people dignity. We can develop programs that we can care for them. So I've connected on a shared value that I care about those people too. In fact, those people are my ancestors. I care very deeply about them. And then I can say I would support a plan that would encourage them to learn a new trade. I would encourage a plan that would make sure that they were well well cared for and they were not abandoned. I'm not interested in abandoning coal miners. And so I was able to diffuse what could have been a potential blow up, but say, hey, we can connect on this one thing. We both agree on this one thing. Let's talk and let's find a solution to climate change that has this shared value present in it and we can do this in a way that gives dignity to both your side and my side and i deeply want to bring everybody together so that's one of the ways that you can do that so when somebody says some offhand comment about climate you know sometimes you can let it go sometimes it's just a joke sometimes people are being silly but sometimes you you just can't you can't let it slide because if you let it slide then you're telling them that it's okay to talk about this thing in my presence even though this isn't true so It's important to state the fact, whatever the fact is, then the myth or the misconception, what people think about climate change, and then identify the fallacy. You know, climate scientists can never do enough to convince deniers that climate change is happening. There will always be another threshold with which they need to meet. So once you put all three of those things together... It is a powerful tool to dislodge misinformation and misconceptions from the minds that I use it with my own students, but I also use it in conversations with people who I trust to have conversations with, state the fact, then the myth of the misconception, and then identify that fallacy. What I also like to remember is that a lot of these arguments come because, you know, climate change is a real threat to some people's worldview and mainly free market. And this has a this has a long history of people using misinformation against environmentalists in defense of the free market. The same people who have been involved in denying that tobacco use causes cancer, lung cancer in people, are also producing misinformation for fossil fuel companies saying that fossil fuels and their emissions do not cause anthropogenic climate change. It's the same exact people. In fact, the same exact people have a goal of sending a book to every teacher in America labeled, Why Scientists Disagree About Global Warming. And that effort is an effort to sow doubt in the minds of America's science educators who will then impart that doubt on America's youth, all to cause confusion on the topic, which will lead to anxiety and paralysis. So we don't come together like we should, and respond to the threat and take action.
1: Thank you so much for breaking down all of those like really thought-out strategies of how to deal with these conversations, especially this time of year. And I will definitely like link all those resources that you mentioned in the show notes if anyone wants to go back and learn more. And I also am so glad that you mentioned just right now at the end the idea that the people who are advocating on behalf of tobacco companies are the same people advocating on behalf of fossil fuel companies. And there has been a lot of reports that you know fossil fuel companies and gasoline companies have known for a long time that climate change is inevitable and it's very directly linked to our consumption of fossil fuels so i think that's interesting and i was going to ask you like what's your favorite like rebuttal fun fact because mine is that when someone says oh scientists aren't 100 sure about climate change my favorite rebuttal to that question is always that we are more certain that humans are causing climate change than we are that smoking causes lung cancer yeah that's my yeah. favorite. They told me that on, like, the first day of graduate school, and they were like, if anyone ever tries to question you, just FYI, you're one of the good guys. You're one of the scientists.
0: Yeah, that's – oh, my gosh. That's exactly true. I would say, yeah, that that is, a, that is a big one. You know, that huge consensus. Like, 97% of, you know, climate scientists agree. We are causing climate change, and we can do something about it. That's huge for me. I also liked – I saw – Oh, one of, I think it's, is it—is Penn the one that does all the talking or Teller's the silent one, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, you never remember. Anyway, he had like a little analogy where he's looking at a bridge and 97 engineers say that bridge not isn't safe. That bridge isn't safe. That bridge isn't safe over and over and over and over again. And you have three of them that say, no, it's fine. You can drive on it. Are you going to drive on the bridge?
1: That is such a good one. I'm
0: not, I'm not strapping my kids into their car seat and driving on a bridge that 97 engineers say that bridge isn't safe, but three say it's okay. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So yeah, that is, the consensus is really very important. And actually that has been identified by climate change communicators. That is kind of a gateway drug to people or a gateway belief to denying the science of climate change if you can sow doubt in the minds that oh hey scientists don't really know what's going on with this whole climate change thing this whole global warming thing they can't even you know make up their mind on what to call it if you can so doubt that scientists don't agree then people are not likely to, to get on board and if you look at a lot of studies if you poll people and ask them how many scientists do you think agree on climate change the number is ridiculously low it's like in the 60s i think but the number is actually 97 percent. so it's Very high. So, their campaigns have actually really worked. They've sowed a lot of doubt in the minds of the American public that fossil fuels and human behavior is directly related to the changes in our climate that we are experiencing now.
1: Thank you. Thank you for all of that great information. I think that you're just so eloquent, but you're also very level headed when you have these conversations, clearly, because you've been on the other side as well. Like, you know what the thought process is when you are a Climate denier, let's say.
0: Absolutely, yes. And a lot of these conversations, you know, these are happening with with people that I love in communities that I love. I have restructured my whole world (laughs) in light of the election of 2016. Just because I've moved forward in a different direction does not mean that I don't deeply care about the people from, you know, my conservative days, from my evangelical days. I care and I love each and every one of those people very much. And I still want to be an open, safe person that they can come to. Because ultimately, when I started doubting my political views, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't have anybody that I felt was a safe person to bring this up with. And I want to be the kind of person that I needed. you know, Someone who could listen to other people and hold the weight of what they're going through in such a way that, It was careful, but it gives the other person dignity. And I feel like that is exactly what we need. We need human compassion. We need connection. We need relationships. I've never changed anybody's idea about climate through an internet post. So far as I know, I've never changed anybody's idea about climate from a snarky comment. The only people whose minds that I've changed about climate are people who I have a relationship with, people who trust me. Those are the people who have changed their minds and have come around on the issue. It's staying in relationship with people in a way that is safe for me. You know, there are people from my past that I'm not interested (laughs) in having conversations with, but there are many people, most people, who I still deeply care about, love so much. And, you know, when something happens for them and things may start to change, I want to be the kind of person that they can come to. And talk with about it so that they don't feel as alone as I did.
1: That is such a positive way to look at how you can really serve the people in your life and really just be a resource for people and be somewhere where they can turn that they'll feel safe asking these questions and having these conversations and starting to change their mind a little bit. And I think that's just such a positive note. I I would love to leave the audience with any like final words of wisdom that you may have before we wrap up. I think that this has been such an insightful conversation. Well, the main thing that I wanna
0: leave with your audience is a lot of times you'll hear people say, you know, people can't change their values are their values and no no argument that you can ever have is ever gonna sway them. I am living proof people do change. People are capable of change. We are able through relationships, through optimism, through our integrity, the exercise of our personal power. These are all things that we can do as climate activists to help bring other people into the fold. Because ultimately what we need is we need diversity to solve this problem. This is a problem that isn't going to go away with one solution. We need A bunch of solutions to fix this crisis and we need a lot of people at the table we need educators we need farmers we need politicians we need everybody that you can think of at the table so that we can solve this crisis and I just want to say if me the granddaughter of a coal miner can be doing this kind of work in a deeply conservative area anybody can do this kind of work. I just put one foot in front of the other every day, every month, made a new goal for myself, tried something different, tried a new tactic, read another book when I felt like I could. And then all along the way, took a lot of care of myself because this is big. This is the biggest thing that we've ever faced as a civilization. And to be able to have the stamina to run this race, we have to take care of ourselves. One thing at a time, to have a conversation, write that letter to the editor, call your congressman. These are all things that we can do and then take care of yourself. Take a step back make sure that you're caring for yourself so that next month you can do the same thing and have the stamina so that we can fix this. Because I deeply believe that we can fix this. We have time, but we need to get people awake and we need to get people at the table with us so we can solve this problem.
1: hope you guys loved that episode with Sarah Ott of the Citizens Climate Lobby and also the National Center for Science Education. I'm so excited to actually start implementing some of these tips in my own life because, honestly, it's hard for me to digest a lot of these conversations with more conservative friends or family members and just kind of trying to present climate science and what I do and what I'm passionate about in a really non-confrontational way. I feel like Sarah has given me a lot of really great take-home tips and I hope that you feel the same way. So with that, please keep in touch on social media is usually the easiest at Eco Chic Podcast or my personal page at Lori E. Diaz. But I hope you guys have a really awesome week and I will talk to you very, very soon.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old.